köyhä Suomen kansa, katkoa kahletansa, kärsimysten maljassa jo kukkuroillaan on. Rakasurta valtaa vastaan nostamasta armeijasta, mitä stop, täällä tapahtuu, stop, stop. My thoughts exactly, never, never, ever, ever do that one again. This, 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 this podcast is ear rape enough, you know, without us doing karaoke. <laughs> That's what we get for having at least personally my throat is aching so that was the result. So so your throat is aching and the first I- impulse you have you have is start to actually strain <laughs> the last bits of your voice to to sing a song. Yep. That was my opening and I was going to stick by it. But you know what else? Who has been sticking by something here? Now I'm going to take all blame away from myself. And this is all on you. <laughs> this is all on you. Tuntematon well, sotilas. How, 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 is, how is this one on me? Because when we were doing this Finnish movie one year ago, which was not Tuntematon sotilas, you insisted that, or you were surprised that we're not doing Tuntematon sotilas. And then, of course, we had to arrange it for this slot. Yeah, and I, I'm still quite surprised that we are covering this film and not the latest Akulouhimies five-hour-long epic version of the film. Pick your poison, man. I don't make these decisions. <laughs> no, no, you precisely are the person who is making these decisions. I recall that we didn't we didn't even discuss which version we are going to look at here, and then the automatic assumption from both of our sides was the original. No, no, no. We, you are, you are right. You are right. We never discussed which version we are going to pick. But of course, my automatic impulse was that we are going to cover cover the five-year-long version, the latest one of the film. If you wish, we can do that next year. If you are insisting enough. Well, I rarely insist anything on this podcast. So you know, whatever the film we are doing, the next Finnish Independence Day is gonna be—it's gonna be all on you. <laughs> the unknown soldier. What is this, Henrik? It's an audio drama that that Ile presented in the sixties. <laughs> so this is inside Finland, the most famous Finnish film. I would definitely argue, based on the novel of Väinö Linna, also a Finnish person. Yeah, and, and more precisely than the today's version, the 1955 version, is is the most known Finnish film ever in existence, and kind of the most highest rated film also. Like the 1955 version of the Unknown Soldier is a, is is a film that has this kind of godlike cult status in in Finland. It's the at least to my knowledge, it's the only film that has been... The only Finnish film that has been remade. And not just remade, but remade twice. That's right, so it must carry some kind of importance to the people. So let's look at it. The first one is directed by Edwin Laine. Do you have anything extra on this person? Yeah, a, a ton. I, I don't know what to tell you about Edwin Laine that would have any meaning for our listeners, or at least our international listeners. That's that's the case with, with the whole cast and crew of, of the film. There, there is a bunch of bunch of quite famous Finnish names tied with the film, and none of them actually ring any goddamn bell to 
anyone who listens to this podcast outside of Finland. Well, that's what we're doing all the time. We are, we are raising all kinds of unknown films around the world, and uh, this is uh, very much an unknown film outside of Finland, I would say. So let's just bring something to the table. So Edwin Laine, known for The Unknown Soldier or Tuntematon Sotilas, which is probably the way I'm going to say it a lot in this episode. And which most likely is the only film from Laine that you might have seen at some point. Because The Unknown actually was transported outside of Finland and quite heavily on top of that. So I, I would say this is one of the more widespread Finnish films altogether. I would say that probably the new version is more well known around the world. And that I, that is suggested I, to be the most successful Finnish film of all time. Although that title has also been given to the first one. And was it even only concerning theaters from 1955 to the 80s? It's it's hard to say because of because of the cult status of, of of the Edwin Linus film. The kind of the, the history and narrative that the film has outside of Finland has been built to, uh, to built to be as strong as possible. And because of this, it's kind of a hard to pinpoint what exact years, for example, are being calculated in the in the original spread of the film. Like when we talk about that that the Edwin Linus unknown has spread largely outside of Finland, it's hard to say exactly what years we are pinpointing and where the line is drawn. Is it from 1955 to 1960s? Or is, is the time frame from from 1955 to 1980s? Or is it is the time frame from 1955 to today? Yeah, also... There is this book called Täällä Pohjan Tähden Alla, Here Beneath the North Star, from which has also been made film adaptations by Edwin Laine. And all the three parts, as it happens. Here Beneath the North Star, then the part two, Akselian Elina, and Pohjan Tähti, North Star. Yeah, and or uh, unknown is maybe in, in a small part some kind of unceremonious continuation or a sequel to Here Under the North Star. It carries some of the characters from the North Star books, if I remember correctly. But basically the stories in, in the two books are complete, are their own unique beasts. Yeah. So what was the kicker for making this film in the first place? Well, it goes all the way back to Second World War and to the less charted territory of it when it comes to most people, but many people would do well to research about the Finnish winter war and the continuation war, because these were kind of very important moments and might have been the the wars that kind of decided ultimately the future of Europe, at the very least in the north. I, I don't know about the future of the north or, or the future of Europe, but it, it did reshape the future it did reshape the spirit of finland it, re- it did shape the way how finland is today the finland and Finns still in large part carry with them the legacy of the winter war and and the continuation war that followed but I, on a global scale i don't know if if winter war really was that important it did 
play a part, of course, in, in the war effort of, of Germany. And the whole kind of a mess that was Operation Barbarossa. But overall, I, I wouldn't say that the fate of Europe was necessarily decided in Winter War. Not Winter War. Continuation War was where... Well, well, in that, there either. Well, we ha- had, had we not advanced, then Germany would have most likely advanced to our territory and taken uh, a hold of uh, Finland if we had not or followed the, uh, basically their orders and carry on to the continuation war. Of course, there were ambitions of Finland itself, but had we not followed Germany there, then I think it would have been the end of us at that moment. And who knows how how the whole uh, power play between Germany and Russia would have looked after that. Well, I, I'm really hesitant to take that stance because as we... As the world history remembers, the whole German offensive against Russia or Soviet Union, as it was back then, went ditch up for the Germans. Yeah, it ultimately went. Yeah, and and most likely, I really wouldn't say that that Finland in the end was was actually somehow shaping how how that conflict went. Well, let's talk about it. There is a lot to cover about the main points of both wars. So, well, let's talk about Vainolinna first. This is a kind of a national treasure of ours, one of our most respected writers, and a winner of the Nordic Council's Literary Prize, among many others, born in Urjala, moved to Tampere in 1938, and was a lumberjack originally, participated in the war, in the in the continuation war and uh, fought on the Eastern Front, was a squad leader, and all of these experiences then translated into the book, of course, The Unknown Soldier. During his time in the army, he was writing and offered his writings for publication, but nobody was willing to publish this. So he threw them away, but the idea of a book never died, and ultimately he wrote this book. The Unknown Soldier. And two of his first books sold really poorly, and Tuntematon Sotilas is his third book. And it was almost immediately when they started to plan for the film adaptation, for some reason, even though the the reviews of the time were not very favorable for the book back then. Yeah, uh, what comes to the book, I, I would say the legacy of the book and, and the status it has today it kind of built up after the release of the book, and the film itself, Edwin Linus version of the of the book, may have actually helped the also the book quite a lot. Today, Vainolinna's unknown is kind of a mandatory reading in in Finnish schools, uh, but the case might may not have been that had not Edwin Linus made his film. Could be. Yeah, nevertheless, when it came to the premiere of the film, it was a huge event and there were television cameras all over and many important people watching the film after like 10 years after the continuation war ended, after which it was deemed that Finland was ready to have a kind of a different dialogue or dialogue altogether about the war and its horrors and uh, put it on film. Yep, kinda. Kinda ready to have a dialogue and kinda not. Yeah, 
once again, we have the producer Toivo Särkkä, who was also the producer for Commissario Palmun Erehdys, the Inspector Palmus Error that we looked at in the last Finnish film episode a year ago, approximately. And Edwin Line, the director of this film, was sent by Särkkä to buy the filming rights from Linda for 500,000 marks at the time. And uh, in today's value, it seems that it's not not much. It's 14,888 euros. But Linna insisted for a million marks, and that would be about 30,000 euros in 2019. There was competition. There was also Suomi Filmi, which was interested in the rights for this film. Hence, they closed the deal for million marks. Yeah, Linna kind of went against the orders and eventually took the gamble on himself. He, he may close the deal on his own account without consulting Sarka, and through that act he ended up carrying the final risk of the film on his own shoulders. So had the film flopped upon release, it most likely would have bankrupted both Sarka and, and Line. And the scale of the film was quite large during its production days. Filming locations were all around Finland. External shots mostly in Uusimaa part of Finland, so in the southern region of Finland. Those included uh, Box in Sipo, Hangelby in Sipo, Palojoki in Nurmijärvi, Parola in Hattula, Tuusula, Hanko. And from southeast Finland this film went to Taavetti, Luumäki, Virmutjoki Ruokolahti and Miehikkela Ruokolahti. Also some shots in Rovaniemi and some internals in studio, of course. And as discussed, there is three different versions. And the 1985 version was directed by Rauni Mulberry. And this, I understand, started tried to do some kind of a more realistic depiction and more authentic uh, depiction of what Vanolina was writing in the book, which was very much a kind of an anti-war statement. Funnily enough, the actual novel itself was tampered with quite a lot. And only years and years later, in 2000, in the turn of the century, the full, unedited version of uh, Tuntematon Sotilas was published as Sotaromaani or war novel. And 2017 version was apparently there to base itself on the Sotaromani, uh, the war novel version, even though you can't really distinguish between these versions that much when it comes to the like the essence of what they're doing. Uh, 2017 version doesn't seem that much of a different version when you compare it, it to the, all the other versions, apart from some differences uh, regarding women and maybe Lottas in some parts, but also very minimal. I, I don't know. I, I actually take a quite a different stance on that question. I, I think there is quite notable difference between all the three versions, or four versions, depending on how you ca- count them, because the latest one, is, is it's been divided. There is the, there's the official film theater version, version which is was like three hours long, and then there is the miniseries. From this, that which is done from the exact same material, which lasts, is it five hours? Yeah, I haven't seen that one. I have seen only the theater version in 2017 in Finland. Yeah, but but I I would say there is a notable difference 
The, the source material still is quite the same, but there is a tonal difference between all, all, all the ver- versions of, of the unknown. Oh, definitely. Definitely. Yeah. Edwin Linus is, is kind of the most innocent of, of the, of the well, well, let's say three versions of the book. Like, like mentioned, the 1985, Rowney Mulberg's version, it, it aims to be more realistic. It aims to be this war is hell take on, on Vainalina's novel, and it's also the version that Vainalina himself embraced. He wasn't the biggest fan of Edwin Linus original. He kind of felt that that his message, the anti-war message, is is lost in in the 1955 version. And then the latest one is it is more bombastic, uh, or it's the most bombastic of of the of the films. It's most Hollywood, and it it's kind of a it it tries to pay bring the Mulberg's version into today's filmmaking, so to say. Yeah, it's not a surprise that there have been some reviews regarding the 1955 original, that it has uh, tonal problems, or it has a weird tone. And that's easy to understand. Like there, It kind of tries to paint many different views of war. It has, you know, the, the humor and the funny parts and the funny characters, very lightweight atmosphere juxtaposed with this quite horrendous, actually at the time, uh, war images. And when it comes to these differences, I feel that in the 90, 1955 version, there is less, uh, like, cinematic emphasis given for, for some scenes. Like, some scenes would just flow past you, you don't even realize what is going on because it's just not given this emphasis to even kind of for the audience to decipher what just happened. In the 1985 version, for example, it, it is a big deal. Uh, there is this one scene where one of the soldiers decides his fate, so to speak. He decides whether he will become a lawyer or whether he will stay in the army. And in the 1955, it's just some kind of an offhanded remark, like, okay, this experience has made this decision-making much easier for me. And in the 1985 version, you get into the whole emotional struggle of the character, like, I made this decision now, and, uh, well, it had to be made, I'm not happy, but at least I have made a decision. Whereas in 1955 version, it's all happening during this kind of a pretty happy lightweight scene, and you don't really pay any pay any uh, notice to it there's a lot of moments like that and and i feel that for that the 1985 is a better film but the 1985 version also is very serious throughout what now we could of course argue whether it should do that or not 1955 version though is kind of more fun to watch because it has a bigger scale of where where it's emotionally going if that makes sense I believe also there are some uh, differences, like in 1985 version you also have one moment where the soldier in the tent is shouting Heil Hitler, I think for sort of a more of a humorous purposes at that moment. And that is not in the original. No, there's quite a lot of stuff that in the end is not in the original or or in, in the 1955 version. There, there is a lot of Kind of, kind of edges and a lot of I, I don't know if controversial material is the right word, but 
but kind of a kind of a harder statement of, of the story, which are being left out in in Edwin Linus' film. What I liked a lot about the 2017 version is addressing the home, like Rokka visits home during his leave, and real Russians and or Russian accents are being heard. It took over 70 years, but they finally got the Russians right in these films. Christmas songs at home or the, at front, and one of the soldiers also visits home, tells his love that he can't request a transfer to Helsinki, as he is needed at the front, in his opinion, of this added dramatic element. The film starts up with the Finlandia hymn, and there have been many, many voices that have been supporting the idea that Finlandia should be our national anthem. What do you think about that? I really don't actually take a stance on that question. Yeah, it's a complicated one because, of course, the original piece was <laughs> not written with lyrics as well. So somebody would probably, as we Finns say, uh, get some peace into their noses about it. Yeah, and it also becomes a question of what song you want to actually have have to be butchered whenever it's actually presented in public. Definitely that the book was kind of more brave in what it was saying. There is the dependence on Germany addressed during the continuation war. There is uh, talk about capitalism, tongue-in-cheek. Some of it survives to the film. Low nutrition is addressed. And uh, excessive support of religion is, as at, is addressed in a way that some character says, quote, Helvetin hihuli. I'm not sure how to translate that, but basically overly religious person. Also, the shooting of of the Russian prisoner, it's not in this version, right? No. Then again, it bears to remind that we may not have the entirely uncut version of the film today. The official version of, of the 1955 Unknown Soldier is something like 2 hours and 48 minutes long. And, well, there are accounts that the original version that would have been released it would have been something like three hours so the our, our official version of the film in in that case would have been cut and there there is there is accounts of on some of the scenes that would originally had been in the film would have been in the original releases that went around in Finland and later on would have been taken out of the film. Like for like the scene that you mentioned where where the unarmed Soviet soldier is being shot in the back. Some more examples include quote from the book, Isamaiset ja naivit fraasit. So like patriotic and naive phrases related to a letter that is being written. This is not in the films. So about the whole background of this whole situation that we got ourselves in, or other nations got us in, we could basically go back all the way to the Finnish Civil War and the Kinship Wars. The Aunus War is probably the most famous of the Kinship Wars. This was supported financially by the state and Mannerheim himself, who later became a president and was a military leader 
Mannerheim was supporting the white side, whereas the red side, which was seen as the rise of the Bolshevism in Finland, is something that Mannerheim wanted to attack head-on. Finland gained its independence in 1917, but 1919 was the year when we became a republic proper. Before that there was the civil war, and uh, whites who tortured and slaughtered tens of thousands of reds, or supposed reds, and delayed the international recognition as well of the Finnish independence. Of course there were there were hateful actions from both sides, but I mean for God's sake, in like 1918 the Finnish government had even appointed a German king for us, so those were that kind of times. And But then Germans lost the First World War, and this led to the fact that the king appointed by Finland, King Hessen Kassel from Germany, had to turn down the offer of kingdom. And then we got our proper republic together little by little, which is where the modern Finland starts. Yeah, it's kind of a question how you count it, how, how you count the kind of a formation of Finland when, when you say that Finland came into existence. But after we gained our independence, of course, the USSR took under its Soviet control the, the Baltics with the pretext that it was necessary in order to create a buffer zone against the nascent German invasion. And the USSR requested to to plant a military base in Hanko and to move the Finnish-Russian border to the west to gain like a tactically safer ground in case of a potential German invasion. That was the explanation anyway. So the Russians claimed, and Finland would have gained more land in exchange for regions lost. A lot, in fact, like double the amount. But Finland was split on the offer. Finland ultimately decided against it, as this didn't enjoy the support of the public nor the government enough to drive it through. Hence, the Russians now staged a casus belli situation or like a justification for war, which is the famous the shelling of Mainila, Mainilan laukaukset. And from there began the offense of the Russian military to take over the regions they wanted to take in the first place. Or more. Or or if you take the Russian version of the events, the Finland started the hostilities and and forced the Soviets to actually return fire, so to say. Which has been researched by Russian and Finnish historians alike, and they have concluded that this was a manufactured casus belli from Russian side. Yeah, so so it has been. So so it has been. But w- once again, that that is the official Russian version of the events. Yep. Also could be mentioned the Molotov cocktails, famous all over the world by the name. And it's, it's actually a, a Finnish invention as a name, because... Uh, there was this Soviet foreign minister, Vyacheslav Molotov, and he stated that the Soviet Air Force was not bombing Finnish cities, but rather just giving some humanitarian aid for the starving Finnish population, which, of course, the sarcastic Finnish people dubbed into the Molotov bread baskets, which eventually led into the name Molotov cocktails. So the shelling of Manila led to the Winter War which lasted approximately three months. And uh, it led to the situation where the USSR basically gained the ground that it was looking for all along, or claimed to. And uh, after that came the interim peace. And during the interim 
piece the Soviet military had relayed kind of operational plans to conquer Finland, but there was this Operation Barbarossa, which which took the entire focus from the USSR. It required the best units and material, and therefore they had to kind of renew the offensive against Finland. And over a year later, we go to the continuation war, which lasted over three years. Now, this is a more interesting war. So the goal of this war, according to Risto Ryti, the Finnish president at the time, was to restore the territories lost during the Winter War and gain more territories in the East to create a greater Finland. So we also contributed on our part to the suffering of Leningrad by not keeping our 1939 lines. Who knows to what extent really, but we did move beyond the 1939 lines and gained more ground from the USSR. And we were as close as 20 kilometers away from the St. Petersburg suburbs at that point. Effectively, the St. Petersburg was plucked from both sides, from by Finland from the north and then the, the Nazi Germany from the south. Of course, Nazi Germany requested Finland to push even more forward towards the conquering of St. Petersburg, but they refused that much to the frustration of Adolf Hitler. But yeah, that was the goal, to gain back the old grounds, and that's what we did. And it didn't really work out that well that we started to go on with this greater Finland ideology, which for sure, was one of the things that must have pissed off Mother Russia. And of course, later we got the, got the beating after the USSR gained control and uh, drove Nazi Germany back to where it was coming from. And the Finns also, back to the lines that were established after the Winter War. And that kind of like to our international audiences is, is something that at, at least somewhat explains the Finnish mentality of of today since the war itself it's kind of a difficult topic for Finns to discuss because even even today there is this the way how the war ended for us it, there has been different versions there has been kind of this transgression of a version how that we prefer how how the war went and it starts from the statement that Finland never actually lost the war to the statement that it was it was a defensive victory for us. And finally into the brain gymnastics of the statement that Finland did l- indeed lose the war, but it was kind of this three-dimensional chess move type of thing where we more or less kind of sort of lost the war on purpose because that got made sense on a, like in, in geopolitical sense. And the, the final, the third narrative, the, the basic narrative behind behind that sentiment is that had had Finland actually won the war, it would have also meant that Nazi Germany would have won the Second World War, and that would have meant that we today would live under the Third Reich. And by by losing the war, Finland kind of made it possible that that the Allies were in the end able to to beat the Nazis. Yeah, and the the story that is fed to us in primary school is basically that Finland patriotically fought back and basically won the war against a huge, gigantic USSR against all the odds because we are so smart. 
and we were very smart. We, we of course, we made incredible, incredible losses for the USSR. Nevertheless, without gaining ground or basically keeping our ground. So, in my opinion, it was definitely a lost war in that sense. But on the other hand, we were able to remain as as one of the few democratic governments that were not swallowed by the USSR during that time. Of course, you could then make the argument that, oh, but the, the USSR, its goal was never to invade Finland. But there's different versions of that. And like, what was the real intent of the USSR for Finland? Probably in some earlier plans, it was to be the same buffer state zone idea as it was for the, the Baltics. But maybe after Nazi Germany went haywire, it was starting to be more of a friendly approach towards Finland, that we just we just need to end this. And besides, you're Finland, so we have better things to do here, for example, to blockage the Nazi Germany League. And that's what happened. They removed a lot of troops from the Finnish front and, and uh, moved to fight against the Nazi Germany. Yeah, the Finnish war effort really, is, when when you look at it, it's nothing if, if not a miracle. Statistically wise, the old sentiment that one Finnish soldier measures up to 10 Soviet soldiers, kind of a holds really much the truth. It was something over 30,000 Finns who who died dur- during the conflict and and the Soviet casualties run from three to 500,000. And basically the only reason why we really, why the war ended as it, the way it did was that the reserves in, in USSR were simply way too numerous for basically to anyone to to defeat them. The Soviet Union was able to simply overpower the, even the Nazi regime simply by having such a large reserve and having so much people to throw against the machine guns that the Nazis literally run out of bullets. So in that sense, Finnish holding up against the Soviets was really something it is quite a remarkable feat mm. and it's it, it is quite the miracle and well had had Finns not been able to pull it off had had the war ended even more differently as as it did well i i would say that the situation in finland today would be very different than what we had most likely we would we would have simply been invaded by the Russians, maybe then the the invasion would have advanced to Sweden and from there to Norway. Most likely, that's my my guess how it would have happened had Finland not been able to hold its lines. But still, even even with that out of the way, making the statement that Finland lost the war, it's still a bit dangerous statement to make in Finland because people are extremely passionate about those years even today, and and the war narrative that we have been given, which is that we somehow won the war. Yeah, in a sense, like I said, it is a win, in a sense, that we were able to hang on to our country against this massive, massive Soviet Union army. There's a lot of points that contribute to the fact that, that we were able to fight against the USSR at all. And some of these are really mystical to this day for me. Like, the biggest one that really baffles me is the incredible lack of preparation for both of these wars. 
for continuation war, they had some plans to to put in place some improvements for possible new war. Many of those were not implemented for the continuation war. Nevertheless, it's just baffling. This, the lack of preparation, not having enough warm clothing for all your soldiers, not being anywhere near as able to navigate in the Finnish forests or use, use it to your advantage. And it took fucking ages for the Soviets to start using these, these white camouflage clothing. I would say that a lot of that might be explainable by the mentality of, of the USSR leadership during that time. USSR was quite the beast on record of population and on record of territory. And that may have been something that kind of blinded the Soviet leadership and even diminished the value of, of a Soviet life in the eyes of the leadership. It, it might be the sentiment that ex- explains, some, some, for example, some, some of the wartime policies that the Soviet Union had. The whole, you are going, getting the bullets and the man next to you is getting the rifle mentality. And the, if you retreat, we will shoot you as you retreat stance that the Soviet leadership took. Also something that most likely played a huge part in, in how the war went was the leadership's decision to, when, when Stalin gained the power, the decision to to imprison and and outright murder the military leadership of the Soviet Union since since Stalin was afraid that the military could try to organize a coup or the old Soviet generals would try to organize coup in order to overthrow him and that kind of a, that led into a sort of a purification in in Soviet military and as a result of that when the war eventually came to Soviet Union, when Operation Barbarossa and, and the Finnish offensive were going on, the, mili- the Soviet military leadership was kind of un- untrained and unaccustomed to war. And that may also explain a lot of the strategic mistakes that they made. And on top of that, also, the unflinching kind of a never give up if you know what's good for you attitude that was running wild in in the Soviet troops, that the, fa- the mentality that when you are given an order, no matter how stupid it is, you have to try to follow that order to a letter. Or if you refuse to do that, in that, get that case, you might end up facing some heavy penalties. And all, all of that kind of... Kind of a, can lead you into a situation where you have untrained and unqualified generals leading your army and they are following the doctrine that whatever whatever they are being ordered, no matter how stupid it is, they have to follow it through. And also, since you don't pay that much attention to a single Soviet life, you also may not be that willing to give him proper materials to actually survive in the front. So that might be something that kind of explains why the Soviet attack and later on the Soviet defensive as Operation Barbosa was going on was as it was. Like why it was so so much dependent on meat shields. And a big part probably the 
lack of motivation. Most likely, yeah. Although they kind of did also have motivation since had they surrendered, the threat was that, well, upon surrendering, you will be shot by your own men. So many factors in play and in the continuation war as well. The the Germany joining the situation and uh, giving a tough time to their previous ally out of the blue. And of course, when the going started to get rough and we had to backtrack back to the the, the Winter War lines, Finland was willing to end the war. And there were no imminent further Soviet offensives, so Finland tried to establish contact with the USSR and negotiate themselves out of the war and to, to make a peace deal. And so they did. And it's rather incredible as well to think that, that we came out of it with such great terms, because when Finland started the negotiations... After, well, fighting alongside the Nazis, the Russians could have basically done anything at this point. And it's surprising that they were kind of willing to give quite favorable terms, all things considered, if I may say so. Because they could have, you know, made some demands that, okay, we're now going to take control of the entire country. Well, they kind of did make a hell of a lot of demands upon the peace treaty. I mean, there was Mm. the whole... there was the whole Finlandization that that followed that peace treaty, and I, I would say the only reason why why Soviet Union was so willing to to kind of let Finland go with just with the Finlandization politics and with taking the territories that they took was that they actually had they they were busy they needed all their all their men all their forces to. To, the, to make the counter-offensive to Nazi Germany. And the understanding goes as well that the USSR was not very interested to lose any more men in such of an amount because Finland had really, really showed them quite considerable losses during the Winter War and the Continuation War. So that was probably the easier option to just leave it at that and concentrate our energies to something else than Finland. Well, concentrate, concentrate your army, yeah, but not necessarily your political power, because political power was something that Finland still have to, had to feel years after the end of the continuation war. Well, yeah, one of those things negotiated in those terms was that Russia would have a military base in Porkalaniemi. It was supposed to be leased to Russia, according to... Moscow Armistice until 1994, but they made a deal. A deal was struck to end the Russian influence in that area in 1956. And one of the factors was that was Finland's neutrality up to that point, and that Finland had not joined the NATO. Yeah, there was also a heavy heavy censorship, although Finland did execute it at least in large part as as a as a self-censorship, but it was again it was censorship that was executed in in fear of further Soviet hostilities and Gagarva losing that goodwill with USSR, and there was also the Lapland War, which followed mm. the the final kind of a war or, or or the final war that Finland has had to this date, which also was very much was. A result of the Finlandization politics 
and the demands that Finland got from USSR. Yeah, it went so that, of course, Finland wanted to get the German troops out of the country after the end of the continuation war, but easier said than done. The USSR gave a date at which point the German troops must be out of the country, also for their national security. Understandable. But so the Finns, Finns had to push out the Nazi Germany troops from Finland and they eventually were able to do so. They were pushed back to Norway. And the reason in the first place that the Germans were inside Finland is that, well, Finns had like a coalition with Nazi Germany. That can't be denied. And this is something that is not explained to you in the history lessons at school. Well, there, there, there was... There, there is a sh- short mentioning of that. Like yeah. there is the acknowledgement that we did get, we did get some weapons. Although how much weapons we got, that kind of depends on the version you get. It's, it's something between a massive amount of armory to two boxes of rusty rifles, <laughs> depending on, on the source. And there is also the acknowledgement of the fact that Finns did send the, some some members, some of their troops, or, or they left on their own accord to get training from Germany. But important once again to note that Nazi Germany, of course, had the ambition to take control of St. Petersburg and beyond, whereas the Finns never had these ambitions. They wanted to gain back the land that they lost during the Winter War. But also there was this idea of the greater Finland to join together all the different the Finnish-related groups from the vicinity of Finland. That was the ideology with which some Finns, some people in the parliament and the president Risto Ruti was going towards. However, at some point even Risto Ruti said that now we're going to stop the advance here and Mannerheim agreed with that. So in that sense, Finland wasn't that bad because they were just getting back their land. Plus a little bit of extra, but you know. Anyway, yeah, that, that, that little bit of extra is what makes the thing things complicated because there yeah. is ne- never actually, there is no full account, like full official 100% account on the subject matter of how much territory Finland or, or the greater Finland ideology was ready to claim for itself. Like when we, when we were, when Finns were in their heads, in, inside of their heads, when they were shaping the, the greater Finland, where were they actually drawing the line in that point? That's never actually, that, that's something that we will never know. And that is what makes kind of a lo- drawing the line on on how much Finns were ready to uh, advance in the USSR territory, how quote unquote bad Finns were do- during the continuation war. That makes kind of, kind of making any kind of assessment of that really tricky. Yeah, there are some map outlines of what could have been the plan, but there were different versions of. Uh, like you said, like it wasn't really set in stone what they were looking for as when it comes to the taken territory. And as also exemplified in the film, Finland went into the USSR territory proper and uh, took control of Petrosabotsk. And this along with some other territories that we took from the USSR, I think this was a massive mistake. Not that it would have 
very much affected the end result of what the Russians were asking us to comply with at the end of the war, probably. But Henrik, continuation war, what do you think about it? Because it's it's an offensive war from our part, basically. With the pretext that it's just to gain back the land that we lost. If we had left it at that, would you have been okay with that war? Um, kinda yeah, kinda yeah. With, with the continuation war, well, when you discuss about the continuation war, there there are two points that you that make the whole thing tricky, and two points that you have to tackle and keep in mind of. The first one is that had Finland not taken part in the continuation war, had we ceased all military activities after the peace treaty of the of the Winter War, the Soviet Union might have been more lenient with Finland later on. The the whole ma- making making peace, then pro- breaking the peace and attacking the Soviet territory, most definitely not being something that earned that much good faith for Finland in Soviet eyes. Of course, the counter argument is that 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 was something that Nazi Germany was demanding from Finland in return for all, for the for the gear, for the weapons, and for the training given previously. But still, still with with that uh, that out of the way, had Finland not taken part in continuation war, maybe the Soviet Finland political power structures would have been a bit more easier. For Finland, uh, when it comes to the war itself, there is the like mentioned. There is the point that there was the Greater Finland ideology. There was, and that that's something that kind of have Finns had had already previously, even before continuation war. There were these small expeditions of of Finns in the USSR territory where they unofficially tried to claim. Soviet land for Finland by planting Finnish flags on Soviet territory. That never actually led into anything officially, but you kind of can see the greater Finland ideology there. You can kind of see the escalation of that of that thought process or and those mentalities from the expeditions to the actual continuation war and and drawing lines on on official maps. Trying to think that this is the Finland we are now going to reshape, and that that does kind of make it make it a bit more difficult topic. It does make it a bit more an offensive on Finnish side. Uh, simply taking back the lost territories, I I guess I would be more okay with continuation war had had Finland actually just stopped there, had it just reclaimed its those territories. And not advance further. Yeah, it's rather amazing in the first place to try your luck for the second time against the superpower. Sounds like a megalomaniac plan that you're starting a new offensive against the USSR, albeit you had the support of Nazi Germany, equipment-wise, weaponry, clothing, food, artillery. Nevertheless, that 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 is crazy. Well, not necessarily that crazy. Like like I said, it's it was like partly it was escalation of the expedition ideas that that kind of a long rooted idea that part of the USSR belongs to Finland and and on top of that there was the whole trust 
on the Operation Barbarossa and mm. the trust put on the fact that since since Nazi Germany is launching this massive offensive against the USSR and since they did manage to actually gain a hell of a lot of ground in the beginning phase of the operation, Nazi Germany was able to advance very de- in, in, very deep into USSR territory before the whole thing went to shit. So that uh, also kind of a I I would I do believe that that kind of a bolstered the Finnish trust, and uh, the trust of Finnish military leadership in the in, into the idea that we can actually pull this off. We can pull it off when we are at, when the Finns and the Germans are attacking both on different sides. You would think that also it was the only cho- choice for Finland. That's what Nazi Germany wanted. Had Finland said no, we're not going to go to any war anymore. That could have been like an opportunity for Nazi Germany to maybe start the offensive from Finnish side on their own and take control of Finland, perhaps. Maybe, maybe. So to discuss the actual film of today. <laughs> yeah, finally. Wow, yeah, this is what happens when you start to talk about Finland. But the film, principal photography was from March 14th to December 5th. And as you may or may not know, The Finnish Independence Day is on the 6th of December, so it was finished right on time for Independence Day. There were some comments about the filming experience from Matti Ranin, who said that the filming was a total drudge under Edwin Linus' command. However, he did commend for great performances whenever the, those were happening. And there were some other problems. The Finnish Defense Forces refused to provide their weaponry and munition for filming since the Highest echelons had gotten a little angry about the previous film produced by D.J. Särkkä. However, the situation then changed when the PM at the time, Urho Kekkonen, was shown 10 minutes of edited material from the unknown soldier, and it was arranged so with defense forces that the weapon delivery was able to happen for the filming. And as discussed before, the film starts with Finlandia by John Sibelius, And here we see shots of carrying the wounded, which we will get to later in the film. We will see it later. And they are also burying the dead Finns. So showing the anguish of war right off the gate. From where we get to the barracks. At the barracks, we are given the information that now the regiment is given orders to relocate. So they leave these current barracks. Yep, for still, at this point, still unknown destination. Right, and they update the equipment to new ones, especially boots. So the higher-ups are discussing the war's possible consequences. There are scenes from canteen, where the boys go to grab some little things to eat. They are emptying the canteen that day, these beautiful ladies serving the soldiers something to eat. And, you know, the times, it's a certain way of speaking about the ladies in those scenes, which could be quite controversial if happened now nowadays but enough of that since we get to the military priest then there is the discussion about the how the stars are so useless in the sky they serve no purpose whatsoever and kind of a, we get to know these characters a little bit more one is kind of having this more of a I don't know, anti-science type of approach and the other guy is listening to the capitalist propaganda <laughs> Yeah, here here then goes goes 
full creationist here when he's he's debunking the whole idea that that man is not a god's creation outright but something that has evolved through the process of evolution there's been some discussion being thrown around about the authenticity of the gear that is seen in the films it's understood by me that the 1985 version got it pretty much right i'd be surprised though if the 1955 version would not get it right because it was made only 10 years after the actual war. Well, yeah, it was, but there still was the problem that that the Finnish military didn't give the full support to the film. Okay, still. They did get some materials from the Border Guard Institution, and the army itself might have helped a little the production, but from army side, the, the material help most definitely was not that phenomenal and not that huge, which meant that they had to kind of a, they had to couple the resources and and the props you see from kind of a, all over the place, which means that for example the tanks you see in the film are not actually the correct Soviet tanks of the time, and probably the Russian gear is even worsely depicted. There's a lot of compilation sequences where we just see when the soldiers are traveling, for example, now in the starting points of the film, and a lot of scenes where they are fighting in different situations. Like, cut here, artillery doing something, cut there, these soldiers are fighting these forces and so on. And with this kind of uplifting, military-esque, I guess, music in the background. It's kind of this patriotic approach. Very, very patriotic approach that you see. The most patriotic approach of the versions in 1955 version. It is, it is. The Edwin Liner's version of the source material is very nationalistic in its presentation. Yeah, it, it has some of these points that the, the unknown soldier and Van Linna say that unknown soldier is mostly about this anti-war approach and challenging these conventional uh, societal ideas or questioning them here to a lesser degree. But it's kind of there. It's kind of a weird hybrid thing going on. On the one end, it's very nationalistic, uh, patriotic product, but also addresses something that is in, in the book. It's it's a weird amalgamation because the, the book is anything but pro-war or more like patriotic. Yeah, I, I wouldn't say that the film is, is pro-war either. No, 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 no. But... Because of its patriotic nature, because of its nationalistic nature, it also is not that much anti-war in its core either. It's uh, it's it, it's the situation where where this is this is kind of a more wacky adventures at the trenches than it is the the har- harrowing man shattering experience that is that is war. It's it's more Kelly's heroes than it is Apocalypse Now, to put it on other terms. Yeah, it's a compilation of different kinds of events and experiences during the war. So there is not that kind of a linear story that you might expect. No, it's it's more about the experience of being there, I would say, that the, the original novel at least is wanting to say. And you you get it in each version, each film version as well. In that sense. You kind of get it. You kind of get it. You kind of get it with Edwin Linus' version. 
I never really felt that that Edwin Linus unknown this film this version is an accurate depiction of war and what it's like to be there it's to, to me it's much too too lighthearted in 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 its presentation and in what it shows to you it never really shows you the true horrors of the war and what it shows it pretty quickly actually somehow underplays and half half-heartedly sweeps under the rock there there are there are violence in it in in the film there there is death but none of the deaths are really shown to you in that graphic nature outside of maybe Lehto's suicide but you know you you never really get into the dirt with this film, you never really get into the the gory end of human life in in war, and also the characters themselves never really they they don't lose themselves. They they don't lose the the core essence of their being as a result of the war. Antirocka, who who is one of the I, I would say staple characters of the film. One of the most iconic characters of the film, he later on in the movie, he joins the, the regiment as a reinforcement. And he he comes to the regiment with, with a smile on his fa- face and a joke ready for everyone. And that's also the way how he eventually leaves the war. When, when he gets wounded and when he's carried away from the battlefield on stretchers, He's still smiling, he's still cracking up a joke, he's giving battlefield advices telling which men are good and in what way. And he's kind of giving it this casual, very social way. Keep an eye on that guy, and there you have a really good fellow with ya. And this one has its quirks, but you can most definitely count on him when the situation gets tough. He doesn't. No, no, nobody really loses their smiles in Edwin Linus' version. It's a way of looking at things. For many, this is the ultimate version, the best version out of all the three. It would be an interesting question to really ask why, but it's kind of hard to say. Is it just nostalgia, or is it the light-hearted aspect of the film that it's kind of gathering for maybe kind of a wider audience? It's. It may be easier for wider audience to go along with it because there is the happy moments and in a way I'm happy that it's showing some of the more everyday life of being at the barracks or uh, in in the encampments but tonally it's kind of all over the place so I don't know about all over the place it it does have a lighter structure with it it's it's not like Molberg's version which tries to be ultra realistic Mm. And tries to be, tries to show you the dirt, the dirtiness of of war. But I, I would say it's like in, in it's it is consistent on its light-hearted and in its patriotic stance yeah. of of war <laughs> and of Vanellina's novel. And I I would say that it partly does could actually explain why the film is is such of an iconic. Finnish movie. There, there are many things that that most likely play part on why Edwin Linus version, why why 1955 version is is the one that is 
kind of the most highly regarded Finnish film ever. Part of that is that the film has been kind of a built up later on to be the iconic Finnish film. Uh, there is the there is the common narrative that every single Independence Day, uh, the Finnish TV network does show you Edwin Linus version of the unknown for 20 years yeah. or so solid record every yeah. year yeah something like 19 years uh, they if i remember correctly that the the tradition of showing it every single independence day started at 2000 yeah. and has carried on well at least well they are going to show it to you once again this year so, so something like 20, 19 to 20 years. But it, like, like mentioned, it wasn't always like that. It's, it's a 2000s tradition. It's, it's not a tradition that stems from, from when the film was originally released in 1955. Before 2000s, the film was not that often seen in Finnish television for one reason or the another. But it wasn't tradition. Now it's been built as a tradition, and now we Finns, media-wise, they grow up in in environment where Edwin Linus version is an Independence Day tradition for us. So that most definitely has kind of a factored into why Edwin Linus Unknown is is such of a monumental entity of Finnish filmmaking, also something that may have played a large part when the film was originally released. Was it kind of a light-hearted tone that the feel you got? Like like mentioned, the film was originally released only 10 years after, after the end of the continuation war. So the generation that most likely stormed in or, or experienced the film or in movie theaters was the veterans of that war and and the loved ones and relatives of those veterans it was shown to the generation that had to live through that experience and i could very easily believe that what they needed what that generation needed what those veterans wanted when Unknown came to the theater, was a light-hearted Edwin Linus version of the film. Because that might have given them the opportunity to experience the film, see a film about the war that they had gone through, and not had that PTSD triggering, ultra-realistic, oh, this is depicting the hell you lived through. That, for example, could have been the Molberg's version. And may- maybe, like, like maybe that is the reason why Edwin Linus' film originally was so well-received, why everybody originally liked it so much, why it became such of an important film for that generation, precisely because it was more Kelly's Heroes than Apocalypse Now. There is the scene where... The troops, after leaving their camp, are spooked by their own artillery sounds, and they crouch. They move forward, and they face the USSR troops in, in a, what is kind of a swamp area. And there is this one higher up who makes the decision to show the example and cross this area, because the, everybody else seemed to be too spooked to continue. 
So he goes forward, gets killed, but this gives the push to the rest of the group to go forward. Hakka päälle pohjan poika. There is, a, I would say, kind of a noticeable lack of nightly scenes. There is at least one, but not that many. You get that later in the other installments. Yeah, most likely due to equipment reasons. Yeah. It being much easier to shoot during daytimes with, with, with the equipment of, of the days. Complaints about the food is made, this terrible pea soup that is offered. Apparently one of the cooks was transferred to another unit, or whatever the case. Then one of the higher-ups tells that, well, it's not part of the Finnish mentality to complain. And given the situation, the food is good, is his assessment of the situation. And they. And that's kind of the most realistic I, I would say moments of the film, because that is the exact same sentiment that Finnish army has even today. Yes. Like, if, if you can afford to complain about the food, you can as well you can afford to to starve. You have to be present, but you are, you are not forced to actually shove the food in your mouth. So you're free to starve yourself. You are free to starve yourself. But you have to be there to see when uh, see that everybody else is eating. Yeah. Just so that your starving can be just, just, just a tiny bit more agonizing. There is one often sequence, buildings are now burning. So the budget was quite high, given the, given the time. There's a lot of bombing, shelling, buildings burning, fires being erupting. One of the soldiers points out that they are basically now on illegal business. Kind of an offensive takeover trip. Rosvoretkelle. Now two reinforcements arrive, Rokka and Susi. Rokka addresses the general informally. Rokka and Susi enter the tent of the leaders and Rokka says that Karjala myö otetaan ja sit myö lähetään kotti. So we're going to take Karjala back and then we go home. That is indeed what most of the Finns at the war were thinking they would do. But the tensions get got a little going in, in, in the army because when Finn started to notice that the, that we're going to take even more regions than just the regions lost previously. And one of the kids, kid soldiers basically dies while repeating the Isa meidän jokalle taivaassa, father in heaven prayer. There is a rainy night attack. Lehto gets injured, shoots himself, as discussed prior. His cries are being heard by at least one of them that is evident in this version in the other versions i'm not sure how evident it really was and then we get to perskarvat scene so a tank gets destroyed one gets compliments and promises of a promotion discussion of how the russians are probably even sending their quote russian bitches to fight in this war as they did as god they did. damn it as they did for, for the great shock of the invading German troops during the time. One injured mumbling about Jesus all the time. He has lost his senses at this point. Once again, one of those war compi- compilations. So they finally arrived to Petrozabotsk, which we in Finland call Petroskoi. Rokka is getting penalized for additional shifts due to informally addressing the higher-ups. You basically have to have... You know, basically this film is catering the most for people who have read the actual novel in the sense that 
the, the, the how this film starts is that you are not given the most of the character names in this film and the way that the story goes on forward is that I think you get the most out of this film if you have read the novel but it will be different if you watch the 85 or 17 version. At least you would have, would have to know the overview of the continuation war to actually understand the film. Because like mentioned, the film itself doesn't really... It, it doesn't really have a clear narrative arc. It doesn't hold your hand. This is a film for Finns. It very much is a film for Finns. And especially Finns who know their history. Because they, like, like you said, the film kind of has the structure that it it just opens in in one time and in one place. That there is a moment when the film film starts. That moment is before the beginning of the continuation war, but that's not actually spelled out to you. You kind of a, you have to catch it from the fact that they are still barracks and then they have to mobilize and what what the higher-ups are talking between each other. And then the rest of the film is essentially is the Finnish army advancing to the to USSR and eventually having to start retreating back to Finland. That is the arc of the film. That's, that's what happens narrative-wise in the film. And none of these advancements and the turns that the war takes are actually ever properly spelled out or explained to you. You kind of have to pick it up from what direction the army is going and what they are saying. Somebody makes the remark that, well, we are getting back to Finland. We are closing on the Finnish border. And that means that they are retreating, but nobody is actually, you know, stopping the moment, turning to the camera and saying that, well, yeah, the war is lost and we are retreating back to Finland. You don't get that moment. Yeah, also not that much arc and structure character-wise either. You are introduced sometimes very partly to a character acts, and then you then you see that character every now and then. Maybe he la- dies, maybe he survives, but there's never never really a thorough arc with any of the characters. Not even with with Rocka who still is one of the, I, I would say, most nominate main characters of the film. E- even with him, you kind of get get bare bones minimum arc. He he joins the, the regiment as a as a refreshment and makes the notion that he has a has a wife and a kid. And then he goes with the regiment and eventually he gets wounded off screen. And then you see that he's on stretchers and he makes the notion that, well, he's getting back home. But you actually never see Rocca leaving home and returning home. You you just get these moments. You just get, well, now Rocca is here, now he's here, now he's on stretchers. And he makes the notion that, yeah, well, for me, the war was here. This is the end of the war for me. I'm wounded and I will, I'm being shipped back to home. So you you don't really you don't get arcs you don't get strong narrative structures with this film. No, it's just an event after event after event, and very much that's how it goes in the book as well. But you may get, of course, more context if you read the book, and therefore I think you will get the fuller experience here. 
Then we get to Veruka or Vera. This Russian girl, Russian woman in uh, Petrozavodsk, who dances Kalinka, of course. Kalinka, Kalinka, composed by the Ivan Larionov, one of the most famous composers of Russian history. Uh, but unfortunately, this actor is most clearly Finnish. Well, I, I can believe that not that many many Soviets were willing to take part <laughs> in film filming of, of the unknown. Yeah. Uh, <clears throat> they, they most likely had someone from that side. They, they appeared in the film. Well, mo- most likely Gulags would have been inviting him very shortly. But Verka is an interesting scene in the sense that that's the... <sighs> That's pretty much the only scene where where the concept of civilians in wartime is ever tackled in the film. And this is hugely expanded upon on the 2017 version, and you get the authentic Russian accent. But is Vera actually supposed to be, like, basic? she's supposed to be Karelian, right? You could make the argument that maybe she doesn't even have the Russian accent, could be the case. So, once again, morning call, nobody wants to leave again. And there is the execution of Finnish troops. Two guys will be executed, and there's a follow-up speech. This is to show you how it will go if you do not follow orders. This is also in all of the three versions. But it has way more emphasis and power in the 85 and 2017 versions. Here, if you... if you, you might even miss it in this original, because there is not that much of a emotional feel in that in my opinion no no there is not and there is not really any build up to that scene right it's it's just it's just a it's just a lone scene that all of a sudden pops up in the film and it lasts for a few seconds and that's i i feel is very much how edwin linus 1955 version tackles with many of the more uncomfortable, the more hard aspects of war. And it's not even very clear if it's meant to be like that or not, because clearly the movie, for whatever reason, is not taking not taking the opportunity of taking that emotional depth out of the situation, many of these situations. No, and I, I would say that the that Edwin Linus film really even can't do that. This is one of those moments where the film has to make a decision. Does it want to milk these more harsher realities of war for the, for the full emotional effect? Does it want to show you kind of the un, uncomfortable realities of war? Or does it want to be the patriotic and nationalistic piece that it is? Because you can't really have a really hard-hitting Finnish army executing its own members scene in a very patriotic, light-hearted, nationalistic movie that kind of a co- is counterproductive for for that agenda. Much like with Verukka, who you also can kind of see as a character which the film uses to tackle the the theme of using the using women of the invaded territories, if possible. Like we 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 kind of kind of know that when army invades territory, when when there are civilians, especially female ones, rape and sexual abuse is something that is known to happen. 
that's what happens in unfortunately for civilians yeah. often in in wartime territories and once again once again Verka is the only only civilian or one one of the like four civilians you see from the now invaded territories the territories that that the Finnish army has invaded or taken back how however you wanna kind of word it out and in in that sense you can kind of see Verka as a proxy for for well basically a raped civilian and Verka in 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 the film Verka is actually treated very nicely when when the soldiers come in contact with Verka they the way how the scene plays out is that the soldiers ask that Verka dances for them and they kind of have this sweet talk Verka to do, to do this to dance for them and then you get get shots at Verka dancing she really loses herself for the dance it it is a bit sensual and you get get shots of the of the soldiers faces who are kind of a well you could say they appear to be aroused by Verka's dancing <clears throat> and then the scene ends there, there is no real sexual act. It's just, you know, these three soldiers looking at Verka dancing. And that's that. And kind of through this, you can kind of see you, you, that there is a possibility to take, make the reading that that's when the film addresses the sexual violence committed against the civilian women, women on the opposite side's territory. And once again, the film kind of just quickly suits over it, much like it does with the executed Finnish soldiers. In the book, you get the description of Verukka that she's a kind of a very independent and a strong woman who is accepting to have these Finnish soldiers around her. But at the same time, she's the kind of person who appears to be in control, a kind of a person that the Finnish Finnish soldiers respect in that way, and that translates very much into all of the film adaptations. I think Verukka would hold her ground against any kind of a rapist approach, but you can read it as you want. You can kind of see a lot of different dimensions in it. Honkajoki and Hauhia now join the war. Mr. Lieutenant Koskela is addressed by Honkajoki. He's a Kind of a funny guy who this kind of a guy who introduces himself. Well, I guess how it goes in the army, but this guy really wants to show off right off the gate how experienced he is, and kind of to gain the respect of the other people in the room, which is not working because everybody just laughs at him, and specifically of his way of speaking in such of a written Finnish language, and of course all those absurd things that he says that he is an expert on. Cone collection, for example. But Hauhia uh, is this younger guy who comes with Honkajoki, and he's put on nightly shift to look out for the trenches and report at any any time if the Russians are coming into the territory. Uh, well, he gets reminded time and time and again that he's supposed to never raise his head above to get into the shooting range. And, well, he raises his head anyway and gets shot immediately. 
this role played by Robin Pakkalen in the new version, which is a very famous teen pop pop singer in Finland. Something akin to Justin Bieber. Now it's winter time and Rokka gets busted for making wood sculptures on his guard shift or wo- wooden items. And he's quite on fire about the allegations made towards him. And he's like, okay, I can't stand this shit anymore. I'm here to take Karjala back where all my family, where my wife is. And I don't care about your bullshit command structure here. But he kind of saves his own situation by grabbing one of those Russian guys and then brings him over and shows that, hey, here's this Russian guy, so maybe you can give me some days off. And uh, and uh, they give it to him. One of the most powerful scenes in the film. Very nicely acted in all of the versions. Towards the end, this little kid gets shot. Then Hiatanen is trying to, to pull him back to the trenches. However, Hiatanen gets hit by shrapnel, which destroys his eyes. And also Tauno Palo dies, which is really important. And the legendary scene of medic car on fire. Maybe the most brutal moment of the film. And then just Russian soldiers shooting all of these injured people when they come out of the van. Kariluoto dies. No more. It's over. Ayana. Nutsaloppu. They are burying the dead. This is the scene from the beginning of the film when we were in the title sequence, so to speak. Once again we get to battles. One soldier assesses that the heart is on the left side, and that is correctly assessed, and he dies. Forest fires, forest destroyed, everything blown off. Suddenly there's silence all over. Soldiers take their hats off. And there is this short scene that addresses that basically... Russia won, but Finland came as a good second. So it is there. And you see one of the soldiers reacting to it by basically putting his hands on his face in grief, disappointment, agony, pain. And just like in the novel, the last shot of the film, well, it's emulating the novel, which talks about how even though there were all these horrific scenes Nevertheless, the sun is shining. Something about the sun being kind of on the troops' side, even perhaps. About the sun not caring about what happened. The sun just being there. And yeah, the sun is still shining. It's shining through the trees. And this is the last image of the film. And that's it. Yeah, I always felt that in, in the novel, the whole notion of of the sun shining... It it's kind of a just stated. It's kind of kind of an ironic I- ironic statement made by the novel. Kind of a like well that all of that was pointless and in the end meaningless in a grand scheme of things. Mm, and in in the film, on the other hand, once again that that final shot of the sun shining through the woods it's very it's once again it's very kind of a nationalistic very beautiful very strong mm. image that it the film tries to give to you beautiful land home nature all that yeah worth defending so to say which has been pointed by many foreign reviewers that in this end of the film it kind of shows them how important nature is for Finns. Yeah, you could make that reading as well, as well. But Henrik, the business side of things, the film had a budget of 46.6 million marks in 1955, which is about 
1.5 million euros in 2019 and gross was 200 million marks in 56 which translates to 6.6 million euros for 2019. If this is indeed accurate it tells us that how small of a business still filmmaking was back in the day but this was huge gross back then. It was phenomenal gross back then. It was such of a huge gross that it actually landed the whole production company in the trouble. Basically, the, the gist was that uh, due to the taxation regulations and to avoid heavy taxation, you kind of would have to invest all of that profit into other productions during that same taxation year. <laughs> And and for 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 Finnish production house, two hundred million marks was simply too much to invest quickly into the next production, which eventually led into the formation of the SF Productions. Right. Produced a lot of films, but all of them were more or less lazily put together. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There, there were some. It they came into financial trouble somewhere in the mid sixties. Releases in the eighties. The film got a VHS release, and the D, the DVD came out in two thousand one. Blu-ray in twenty seventeen. A four K restoration. I can very much re- recommend that, and you can find it all over the internet, also on Amazon. So you can buy it there. All of these versions, in fact, are pretty easily available for international audience so go ahead yeah go go on and buy an buy a 4k resolution version of a black and white film from the 50s <laughs> yeah i guess you could argue that the 2k restoration could have been enough but i always love it when they go a little bit overboard so you definitely get all out of it so the reviews of the times were not that favorable uh, satakunan kansas kauko peltola Told the film was not a solid-shaped play, but rather a set of events with a common denominator called war, which we have been kind of hamping on throughout the episode as well. Then there was Maya Savutia from Vapaasana, who observed that the foul language was kept genuine and correct. And the age of the many actors were criticized by some because the soldiers were supposed to be often in their 20s, but they were in their 40s most of the time. On the other hand, you know... They got plenty of actors who fought during the actual war. Hence, they brought their the, in their own realism to the film. But then again, the acting is quite theatrical. But I feel that in the battle scenes, you get proper death and pain cries. You may get that from the actor's side, but not necessarily from the director's side. It, it's kind of a weird mix where in, in the actors you may have persons who have actually seen the war and when it comes to direction you got a director who most definitely did not actually see the war. Yeah. Edwin Laine as a film director being one of those persons who were not drafted du- during the war uh, but instead was was given the civilian status in exchange for wor- working for the basically Finnish government and for the Finnish army during that time. That being something that did raise some hostilities in Finland, in, in Hervanta where, if I remember correctly, Edwin Lano was living back in the times, back in the days, there even was the song 
that really doesn't translate to English, but in Finns version went to like, lähtee mies, lähtee nainen, vaan ei lähde Edwinlainen. But I don't know, maybe it, it, it precisely it isn't that nature. Maybe, it's, uh, maybe it really is the fact that Edwin Line himself never saw the front lines of the continuation war, which allowed him to make more more lighthearted film about that war, and which may have helped in this film's legacy and this film kind of finding its audiences when it needed to find them. To move on to the to the slowies, what was your favorite performance? Mine, and I, I guess th- this is cheap shutting through through the category, but, well, it, it is Reina Tolvanen as Antirok, giving his only major film role ever. I have to agree, although... I also liked Matti Ranin's performance as Kari Luoto, but definitely Rokka and Reino Tolvanen. Because of that single most powerful scene I feel in the film, where he goes to the commander in chief's office and shouts at their face that this is bullshit, what you're doing here. And I'm just trying to do my job, and you nitpick about bullshit, being the essence here. Favorite scene? I would name the scene where where the guys are drinking hooch. I have to go once again with Rokka's rage towards his superiors. I, I'm sensing that you have some kind of a trouble with the authority. <laughs> yes, and it's a great piece of acting. I very much have trouble with authority, don't you? <laughs> well, I depends on the authority. <laughs> Favorite quote. And this is once again going with the easiest, going going with most typical boring choices you can get make. But it it once again it goes to Tolvanen, missä tarvit oikein hyvää miestä tässä silloin sellainen, which once again doesn't really translate into English that well. But basically states that where you need a really good man, here you have one. And from your end, I'm guessing it's Rokka's monologue when he's raging at the officers. <laughs> God, I have a deep bass voice today. Uh, yeah, you are most definitely, I, I can hear that you are losing your voice as we go on. That's not good. Yeah, m- m- maybe just run through the quickies. <laughs> <laughs> it's not from that scene, but it's from Honkajoki. Mutta minun ollessani vielä sylilapsi muuttivat, muuttivat vanhempani Hämeenlinnaan, jossa vartuin nuorukaiseksi. Sen jälkeen vartuin mieheksi eri puolella Suomea, sillä vietän hyvin liikkuvaa elämää, joka sivumennen sanoen johtuu liikkuvasta luonteestani. Minussa on oikeastaan aimo annos seikkailijaa ja löytöretkeilijää. Oikeastaan minä olen tiedemies. No mitä sä sit oot ruukannut työksessä tehdä? Herra Kersantti, varsinainen ammattini on ollut metsätalous. Tarkemmin määriteltynä käpyjen keräily. And that is tricky to translate, I guess. When I was still a child, my parents moved to Hämeenlinna, where I grew up. Then I grew up into a man around whole Finland because I live a very moving life, which actually is because of my very moving nature. I actually have in me a lot of adventurer and uh, explorer. In fact, I'm a scientist. So what have you done for your work, Mr. Sergeant? My actual profession is forestry. To be exact, collecting cones. Favorite kill? Um, that would be Lehto 
shooting himself in the face. Yeah, yeah, lehto, lehto. So Henrik, feel like joining up the army again? Has this r- raised any of those old feelings of your own experiences when serving in the Finnish army? This film, no, no. But those feelings kind of more or less have always been with me ever since I left the army. I have very complicated relationship with the Finnish defense force. As we both have in our own ways, and you can hear all about that in the Apocalypse Now episode. <laughs> yeah, which is like three hours of our of us reminiscing the army days. First image that comes to mind. Would be that burning ambulance scene. Would be that kid who gets shot and then is pulled back to the trenches and gets some blood on his face from the other guy who loses his eyes. What took you out? Kind of nothing. I, I I do complain about about the structure and and the lack of an arc and 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 the lighthearted tone. But none of those, even though I did raise them as as topics in the episode, none of those really actually none of those really harm my enjoyment with this film or my experience with the film. Well, I wouldn't say this is about outright propaganda. It's just removing bits and pieces, not to make like outlandish statements in the film or anything like that. But it is like a collection of random events throughout the three-year continuation war. So you either love or hate this kind of storytelling. And in fact, I would just suggest that you just watch the maybe the 85 or 2017 version to get maybe more context, more emotion into the scenes. What pulled you in? I actually don't really know. Like, I I am with the film. I'm kind of always been with the film. But I never can actually pinpoint what any individual aspect of the film movie that, that would kind of glue me in with it. Like, I, I just kind of enjoy the experience, if that makes any sense. Yeah. It's more about the the history, the Finnish history. And to be frank, yeah, it's it started to be this kind of a experience that you you just roll with it on every Independence Day when you have the chance. So it's kind of a tradition, and and that's I guess what pulls me in. But I particularly enjoyed the treeless area or the swamp area where this one higher up goes and leads the gang and dies immediately. And there is. Uh, Excellent quote there as well. Ai 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 pojat, eihän sotaa tällä tavalla käydä. Ei, eihän tämmöisestä sodasta tule niin mitään. Mennäänpäs tuon suon yli niin, että heilahtaa. So basically, let's go over the swamp. <laughs> yeah, this is not the way how you wage a war. Oh, scissors of sacrilege, what would you change in the film? I, w- once again, this, this is harkening back to my comments. Comments about, about the light-hungered tone and the patriotic nationalistic attitudes and liberties it takes with the source material, but like I mentioned before, I do acknowledge them, but they don't really trouble me. So, no, I I wouldn't change the film. It's totally so different to the other versions. The tone is there so strong in the happy spectrum and then, then, then in the sad spectrum that it's kind of hard to, you know, try to pick and cut any other version of this film. 
Instead, if you want to change something, I think you would have to go back to the drawing board and just make a new version, which they did. Pretty much, yeah. Un- Unknown is, is kind of a curious film in, in the sense that since it has now been made three times, it kind of a, stands as an example of how how the same material can be presented in different ways. How how the film and the film experience can differ depending on the agenda and the director behind the film. And it's really interesting. You get the filmmaking of the 50s, you get the 80s, which is again a totally another beast. And once again now in 2017, these are very much of the era in how they were built. So They are. So if you are willing to stick with, with the unknown, if you are willing to check out all the three, three different versions, and I can very much well understand if that's too much for you, but if you if you do it, in that case, you can kind of see, kind of see this this evolution and the, these different eras of Finnish filmmaking, which once again does kind of make a strong point for for the legacy and the importance of of the unknown as as a story, as a source material, as something that gets remade and is carried over in Finnish tradition and culture. Yeah, you really know you're watching The Unknown Soldier when? Well, whenever you get out of sauna, basically. Because that that, that is a Finnish Töö tradition. You get out of sauna, you grill some sausages, you drink beer and you watch The Unknown Soldier. Well, you really know you're watching The Unknown Soldier when you open your television around 10 p.m. on 6th of December every fucking year. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> yep, as, as uh, and that will be the case as as long as as Finnish Broadcasting Network has the rights to show the film, and they most definitely have have those rights since now they have rights for three different movies and one miniseries. Yeah, just to make the point, the 2017 version was made in at least to co- collide to to happen at the same time as the hundredth Independence Day of Finland to celebrate it. Yep. Which once again kind of paints the Finnish film industry well, well in in one way in, in a very positive light. Like it, it is it it was the big film of the Finnish one hundredth. And like like I mentioned, it does serve as a as a continuation of the legacy of the unknown and and kind of a legacy of the Finnish filmmaking and and the evolution of Finnish filmmaking. And at the same time, it's kind of a drastically goofy that the only film that we actually merit important enough to, to, to be the highlight film of the Finnish 100th, it's once again The Unknown Soldier. Ditto, and three adjectives to describe this film. For my end, iconic, unique... Because in many ways this is, as a, as a Finnish film and as a film of its era and as a war film and even as a Finnish film about war. Because whenever Finns have tried to tackle the war after, after Edwin Linus unknown, it, well, they typically they have been aiming for more realistic, more bombastic, at times even more 
unrealistic Hollywood directions, but this this more lighthearted in the trenches Kelly's heroes take on on Finnish war, it's something that only Edwin Linus film really pulls off. Whenever Finnish movies otherwise tries to make make lighthearted comedy or lighthearted films about military, then it's outright comedy films that they just take place in military barracks and does not happen during wartime, like Vabri Kerman films, which once again is making fun of Finnish military institution, and those films happened, well, during the Finnish peacetime. And finally, I would say Testamental, because this film most definitely is that. Mm. I would say definitely nationalistic, as we have talked about. It has this light side. I would say in that sense, it's bringing hope. It's hopeful. And as last, it's Suomi Finland Perkeleish. <laughs> Maybe to word it out differently, it's Sisuish. And Sisu meaning like fortitude, strength to carry on whatever you're facing. It's a Finnish term that is quite well known. Henrik, would you recommend Tuntematon Sotilas from 1955? I most definitely would recommend it. I would even recommend all the three different versions of the film. Yeah, same here. I would recommend all of them. It's kind of, I don't know, like picking your babies when you're talking about this. It's not like these are very, like, extremely close to my heart in in sense, but... It's hard to pick from this because they are quite so different and the product of their times as stated ad nauseum. So, you know, just watch all of them and make up your mind if you can. And they are all three pretty terrific movies, so I would recommend all of them really. And this is part of the the Finnish culture. So if you're a foreigner perhaps who lives in Finland, if you're a foreigner who enjoys Finnish culture, if you're a foreigner who enjoys sausage and sauna then watch this film yep this this kind of a does highlight the Finnish mentality like we Finns we often hear that we we are grumpy and we stick to our to ourselves we don't we don't smile and we don't laugh that often and in here you kind of can see the humorous side of of Finnish Finnish nature we make Kelly's heroes type of film about war and that's a movie where a blind guy who has lost his eyes because of shrapnel damage is first burning alive inside of a car and then gets shot so that that's that's the finished chokey chokes <laughs> that that's the lightheartedness <laughs> okay henrik it looks like we have finally finished off the thing that we started a year ago or so the International Cinema Challenge of 2019. It took some doing, I must say. Yeah, but I have to say this this has been an amazing experience, regardless of the incredible workload in many places. It, it's been an experience to travel around the world, experience different cultures, a little under the surface, a lot under the surface in many cases, and to have these absolutely amazing guests that we have had in several episodes throughout the run to explain the films from the perspective of the country that the film is based on and my heartfelt thanks once again for all all the guests that have have joined us in the podcast it's it's been truly an experience 
and qu- quite incredible that you can have such of an experience just sitting on a bench somewhere in the center of Warsaw or wherever I've been throughout these episodes, you know, throughout the year. Thank you so much. And uh, who knows what the future will bring us in 2020, but we will not give up, uh, of course, our tendency of watching so-called international films, so fear not. I think it's good to keep it a little bit fresh and maybe update and bring some new blood into whatever we are doing next year. Would you agree? Well, as as your co-host, I guess I have to agree. <laughs> like, do I do I even even have a choice here? I, I say no now, and the whip gets busy. You have been whipping yourself lately. You have suggested <laughs> some films for me, which I have put as the first priority in 2020. <laughs> so look out for those <laughs> next year. <laughs> but uh, Henrik, uh, happy Independence Day. Hyvää itsenäisyyspäivää. Yeah, you too, man. Yeah. Have a nice one. You wherever too. you are. Enjoy the Finnish culture this week. Enjoy the Flick Lab. And there's still this special episode where we will be wrapping up the entire year of the International Cinema Challenge with our guest Heli, who has been, well, frankly, insane and has bought all of these films <laughs> of the challenge and has watched them with us. And as far as we know, the only casualty who has actually watched all these films with us. Casualty being the key word here. Yeah. Thank you so much for your enthusiasm and as well for sharing these films in your circles and supporting our mission of, of this challenge. So we will be having a little bit of a chat with Helly about the experience and how it has changed her and us as human beings. For the year 2019, there are still a bunch of films. We will watch a little bit of a horror next week. It's going to be Hellbound Hellraiser 2. <laughs> so we will start to go bit by bit the Hellraiser series, which is something that we will do during our holiday because we will take a recording break in January completely. So there will be some kind of easier targets for us to tackle through. Yeah, I guess that kind of wraps it up. Anything to add at this point? Not on my end. Except maybe that... Well, maybe you should get <coughs> the fuck off the air and get you some medicine. <laughs> Alright. I've been Corrin. He's been Henrik. See you next week. Until then. Katso Saul, terve, mitä tuntematon sotilas.